And if you love them and you're not ashamed about it, hallelujah. Is anybody excited to be in the house of God this morning? Man, I, uh, I say this all the time, but it certainly rings true today. Uh, I am just Red Bull excited and uh, triple shot espresso elated to be back here at People's Church. Uh, I kind of have a rule of thumb. If I come the first time, I'm a guest, but if I get invited back the second time, then I'm just straight up family now. So adopted myself in the People's Church family. Didn't even ask your permission. I can go in your fridge and get some food if I want. That's how close uh, we are. But I uh, love this church. How many know you're a part of a great church? I'm telling you, it's pretty amazing, phenomenal to see all that God is doing here at People's Church. And I know great churches don't happen by accident. They happen because of the grace of God and leadership. And I just don't want us to ever just make magnificent things mundane uh, and take for granted the gifts God has given you. And you've been blessed with gifts, uh, which is formed in the body of Pastor Herbert Cooper and his wife. So can we thank God for him and for their leadership? Come on, I look up to them so much. Come on, you can do better than that. Love them so much. Amen. Not, not everybody can have Denzel as their pastor. I'm just saying. Y'all are, are blessed. Can fly planes upside down and lead a church. It's pretty awesome. Uh, but we're going to have a good time in here today. I got my whole family here, and uh, it's going to be good. How many of you came to get a word from God this morning? Did you come to get a word? Amen. If y'all feel like hearing it, like I feel like preaching, it's going to be mm -mm, Campbell's soup good in here today. Say, how do you know it's good, Robert? I preached it to myself in the hotel this morning. Uh, responded to my own altar call, uh, and I wrote my ministry a check for $1,000, so I promise you uh, it's going to be good. Uh, how many have a Bible with you? Do you got a Bible? If you got a Bible, would you wave it in the air like you just do care? Amen. Keep it up there a little longer, trying to see where all the saved folks are. I'm playing. Uh, if you have a Bible, would you go with me to Mark chapter 2, the gospel of Mark chapter number 2, and... Uh, want to illuminate for our understanding verses 1 through 12. Mark chapter 2, starting at verse number 1 and ended at verse number 12. Once you got Mark, why don't you say, yeah, yeah. If you're still looking for it, say, hold on. All right, well, hurry up. I want you to find it. <laughs> Mark chapter 2. Listen to what the word of God says. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. And so many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. It's a standing room only. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus after digging through it, lowered the, mat, the, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law, a.k.a. the haters, <laughs> were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, 
took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Can you say amen? How many know that's good all by itself? I want to preach uh, for about five hours uh, this afternoon uh, using a simple subject, exceeded expectations. Exceeded expectations. How many of you know whenever you encounter the power and the person of Jesus, he will always exceed your expectations? Uh, the thunder might not exceed your expectation. Uh, the bracket you picked this year, whoever team you picked, they might not exceed your expectations, but please know that God always exceeds your expectations. Uh, can we pray before we go into this word today? Amen. Are you going to help me preach this morning? All right. Awesome. You're scaring me a little bit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for the power of your word. I thank you uh, that we're not gathered here just to go through a religious routine. Uh, but God, we've come to have an encounter with you. Holy Spirit, open up our ears today to hear what you're saying to us. God, I pray that you would anoint these lips of clay, that they may be endowed with power to articulate the transformational truth of your word. And I'll be so careful to give you and you alone all of the glory. And somebody who loves Jesus, say amen. amen. And say amen again. Amen. Uh, before we uh, jump into this today, uh, let me just pause for station identification. Uh, and ask, how many of you in here, by a showing of hands, you were raised in church? Can I see your hand if you were raised in church? Okay, yeah, that's almost everybody. I got the right crowd today. Uh, I also was raised in church. And how many of you know that the life of a church kid is different from the life of a regular kid? Uh, there was a, a musical theologian in his hip-hop dissertation uh, once postulated, it's hard out here for a pimp. Uh, I, I disagree. I disagree. It's hard out here for a church kid. If you were raised in church, there are trials and tribulations and situations that you go through that other kids are not apprised of. Uh, I didn't had no option growing up as a kid. I had to be in church. Every day the doors were open. It was not a democracy. It was a dictatorship. Every time the doors were open, I had to be in church. And I'll never forget one Sunday I got bold. I got brave. And I told my daddy, I told my African daddy, I ain't going this Sunday. I don't feel like it. Told my African daddy that. And do you know what he said to me? He said, let me tell you something. You have two options. You can get out of that bed and go to church, or I can kill you. And we will go to church and have your funeral today, but either way, you will be in church, because as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the environment I grew up in. It's uh, the abuse I endured. Um, even before you ate a meal, you had to share your favorite scripture. Before you ate, had to say what your favorite scripture is. I'm like, come on, I've been riding my bike, playing video games. Ain't nobody got time for that. Jesus wept. Give me my chicken. How are you going to have somebody say scripture before a meal? This is the environment uh, that I grew up in. But as a kid, as a kid, uh, anytime I did share my favorite scripture or a story, it often emanated from my favorite section in the entire Bible. I love the whole Bible, but I do have a favorite literary genre, and that is the Gospels. The Gospels are my favorite. I love the Gospels. To you, they're just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but to me, they're close personal friends of mine. I call them Matt, Marky Mark, Uncle Luke, and Little John. Uh, I, I love the Gospels because it, it is in the Gospels that I get to see the ministry of Jesus 
Christ himself. I get to see how he walked, how he talked, how he interacted with people. Uh, one scholar said that the Gospels are Christology in narrative form, meaning they're the closest thing that we have to a biography of the greatest man who ever walked the face of this earth. His name is Jesus. I love the Gospels. And some of you don't love the Gospels, so let me explain to you why you should love the Gospels. Uh, you can't really appreciate the Gospels until you understand the reason for which they were recorded. See, after the first few decades of the life of Christ, the gospel actually was not written down. It was spread orally. And the reason there was no need for a written account of the life of Christ was because there were so many eyewitnesses around who had personally seen Christ for themselves, so it became very difficult for anybody to distort the personhood or the character of who Christ was. For example, during that time period, if somebody was to rise up and say, man, Jesus ain't nobody. He didn't really take the two fish and five loaves and multiply it. What really happened was he got on his cell phone and called Red Lobster and said, hey, I'm running short. Can y'all bring some more fish and bread down here? Or if somebody was to say, Jesus didn't say Father, forgive them on the cross. What really happened was he said, Father, forget them, came off the cross and started breathing fire on people. Uh, if somebody was to say that, there would be a group and a conglomerate of believers who would rise up and say, hold up, time out, you lying. I was there. I saw the miracle myself. I tasted the fish. I tasted the bread. I saw as he said not a word on the cross. But over time, these eyewitnesses began to die off. And as they began to die off, the picture of who Christ was began to get distorted. And I found it intriguing that as long as there were eyewitnesses around, as long as there were people who had seen Christ for themselves, the more difficult it was for the culture to distort the character of Christ. Uh, can I submit to you this morning that perhaps the reason Christ is being distorted in our culture today is because we don't have enough eyewitnesses. We don't have enough people who have been in the presence of God long enough to know who Jesus really is. I mean to know his ways, to know the cadence of his heart. Oh, we got a lot of people that know church. But how many know there's a vast difference between knowing church and knowing Jesus? Oh, y'all don't want to talk to me today. Uh, I found you can come to church for years and not know who Jesus is. I found you can be a proud Sunday school alumnus and speak in more tongues than the United Nations and still not know who Jesus is. You can jump up and down and do all kinds of spiritual calisthenics and move more in church than somebody in a P90X video and still not know who Jesus is. And whenever Jesus is not intimately known, he cannot be accurately shown and his picture will become distorted in that culture and in that society. I, uh, I love what Robert Bowman says in his prolific work, putting Jesus in his place. He says, and I quote, interpretations of Jesus are fraught with bias. He's a powerful figure whom people want on their side, and they're willing to recreate him in their image to enlist his support. Animal rights activists imagine a vegetarian Jesus. New Agers make him an example of finding God within. And radical feminists strip him of divinity so that Christianity doesn't appear sexist. Frankly, it's hard to escape the feeling that our culture has taken Jesus' question, who do you say that I am, and changed it to, who do you want me to be? Unquote. If that doesn't speak to the ideology of our culture, I don't know what else does. Because I found we love the God of who do you want me to be. See, I found most people don't want to reject Jesus. They actually want Jesus. They just want him on their terms. 
Uh, they want him to be a butler and an aide and acquiesce to whatever their will is. It was a theologian by the name of A.W. Tozer who once said, it is a strange paradox that God created us in his image, but yet every day we recreate him in ours. And the problem with recreating God in your image is you're left with a God who can never surprise you, who can never transcend you, who can never break the narrow confines of your cerebral cortex, and who can never contradict you. And ladies and gentlemen, if you have a God who can never contradict you, then you can never be changed. It is contradiction that serves as a catalyst for change. I need God to contradict me. I need a God that'll tell me to go to the right when I feel like going to the left. I need a God that'll tell me to function in my spirit when my flesh is going crazy. I need a God that'll tell me to pray for my enemies and bless them that curse me when I feel like speaking to them in a tongue that needs no interpretation. Come on, somebody. I need God to contradict me because as God contradicts me, I become conformed to the image of his dear son and I start to look like the real Jesus. Is there anybody in here that says, Robert, I want to look like Jesus. I'm tired of playing games. I want to say like Paul, oh, that I may know him in the fellowship of his suffering and in the power of his resurrection. That's why I'm thankful for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who all come together in a concerted effort to give us a clear HD view of the real Jesus. Are you bored yet? Uh, here's what I love about these four gospel writers. Uh, they're talking about the same Jesus, but they do it in totally different ways. Almost like four film directors who've been given the same subject to film, but have each been given their own cinematic license to film it. Each one of them give us a different HD view of who Jesus is. And that's why I'm glad Mark is our director today. Uh, if you like boring documentaries, please read the book of Matthew, okay? Uh, because Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience, so he begins the long and the laborious process of letting you know that Jesus is the fulfillment of over 300 Old Testament prophecies that were given in a 1500 year time span. Uh, those of you who like sci-fi movies, please read the book of Luke because Luke is a medical doctor. So he grows into great detail explaining the magnanimity of the miracles that Christ did and how his miracles could do what modern medicine could not do. Uh, those of you, and I'm assuming it's the ladies, you like the mushy, gushy romantic movies that you force us uh, to go see. Uh, if you like that, read the book of John, okay? If you like the movie Dear John, read John, okay? Uh, because John is the disciple who had his head on the chest of Jesus and he's very existential he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God but those of you who are like me and you like some movies that got some action where things get blown up and people get beat up. Come with me to the book of Mark. Mark is Jesus in action. Mark doesn't even got time for baby Jesus. You won't find no manger in Mark. He starts off with full grown Jesus, hair on his chest, smelling like old spice. Mark wants to let you know that before there was a Russell Crowe and Gladiator, before there was a Mel Gibson and Braveheart, before there was a Denzel, your pastor, please believe there was a King Jesus. And every time he stepped in a situation, it had to come under his authority. Love Mark. And uh, Mark said uh, that Jesus has been traveling and walking and picking up on his freaking walker miles. And uh, <laughs> He gets to a certain house. Historians actually believe it's Peter's house. He gets to this house. And the Bible says when Jesus gets to this house, all he does is he sits down to rest in the house. I'm sure he was tired. He's been traveling. He just sits down to chillax in this house. And all of a sudden, within minutes of him sitting to rest in this house, all throughout the region, people start going, hey, hey, you know Jesus?
Jesus just got in the house. Hey, people start getting on Facebook and Twitter and texting saying, hey, you better get to that house. You know, Jesus just showed up. And within minutes, the whole house is jam-packed with people simply because his presence sat down to rest in a house. People from all walks of life, from different social statuses, economic backgrounds, all converged in one place simply because his presence sat down to rest in a house. What is it about the presence of God sitting down to rest in a place that causes people to come from everywhere? I'll tell you what it is. People instinctively know if you can ever get his presence just to sit down and rest in a place, how many know something supernatural, something like Life changing is bound to happen if you can never get his presence just to rest in a house. Okay, you don't believe me. Um, why are you here this morning? Hello, come on. This is your only day off. Why in the world would you get up on your only day off, put on that good shirt, iron your pants, put on all that Mary Kay and Mac makeup just to come into the house of God? You didn't come to hear the worship team as good as they are. I hope you didn't just come to hear me preach. I think I know why you came. You came because you knew his presence would be resting in this house. And when his presence shows up, uh, something is going to happen. I love it because... He hadn't even done anything yet. <laughs> Just his presence caused expectation for the supernatural to occur. Allow me to use my exegetical imagination. I can see him in the house. I can see the sick in the house going, if he touches me, I know I'm going to be made whole. I can see practical things like a mom with a little kid. He's not even paying attention. He's on his PlayStation. She's like, boy, pay attention. Jesus in the house. That's why you get in trouble at school. You don't listen to nobody. Listen to Jesus. He's going to change your life. I, I can see it. I, I can even see some ladies in the house because, you know, Jesus was single and in the ministry. So I can see some ladies in the house talking about, girl, Yeshua is fine. You see that hair? Shoot. Girl, I heard last week at a wedding, he turned water into wine. Don't let, he don't let him take me out on a date. I'm ordering water. Anyway, um, <laughs> all in this house, and uh, they're waiting. They're waiting to see what he was going to do. They should have been waiting to hear what he was going to say. The Bible says is they're all in this jam-packed house. All Jesus does is he gets up, packed house, clears his holy throat. <clears throat> and the Bible says he preaches the word to them. That'll make you shout, but that makes me shout. Because I love to hear people preach the word. Something powerful happens whenever the word of God is preached. That's why you ought to thank God you have a pastor that preaches the word of God. Because we're living in an age where people are preaching pop psychology and preaching their opinion. And they wonder why there's no transformation. The only thing that can transform a sin-sick soul is the infallible, incorruptible, everlasting, eternal, immutable, irrefutable, unchanging word of God. Love to hear people preach the word. I don't even care your style. That's how mature I've gotten. I don't even care your homiletical style. As long as you're preaching the word, I'm with you. I love calm preachers that preach the word and just kind of calmly say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I like calm preachers. I, I like preachers that get real excited and got veins popping out of their neck and got a Hammond B3 organ behind them and say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. If it says I'm the head, I'm the head. If it says I'm above, I'm above. I'm so I mean, I like those people. <laughs> like those preachers, too. In fact, I preach like that at some churches, but I want to scare some of y'all. Um, but in my 
text today, <laughs> this is no ordinary preacher. This is Jesus. This is the greatest preacher who has ever lived. Do you know why I preached like I've had six Red Bull this morning? Because I had six Red Bull. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> but do you know why I preach with so much passion? It's because I know when I get to heaven, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. Come on, we don't want to hear any other preacher when we get to heaven. The only person we want to hear is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I got to get all my preaching out now. Jesus was a commanding communicator. And there they are listening to the living word, preaching the written word. They're trying to pay attention to a sermon. But in the middle of the sermon, they get distracted. Because all of a sudden they go, is somebody on the roof? And they're trying to pay attention to Jesus. But before you know it, debris starts falling down in the middle of the room. And before you know it, hands start appearing in the top of this roof as a hole gets bigger and bigger. And a ray of sunlight comes to the room. Now understand, historians believe this is Peter's house. Peter's house. Okay, if there's any disciple you don't want to put a hole in his roof, it's Peter, okay? Put a hole in John's roof because John will say, well, now I can see the stars that my heavenly father has made for me. Not Peter. Peter was crazy. Peter would cut off your ear. Peter would cuss you out, okay? So I can see this hole getting bigger and bigger. And Peter's like, man, what the? And Jesus is like, watch your mouth, Peter. Watch it. We've talked about this. <laughs> this hole gets bigger and bigger. All of a sudden, they start lowering a man down, 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 all the way at the feet of Jesus. The Bible doesn't tell us this man's name. doesn't even do us the courtesy of letting us know when this paralysis occurred. All the Bible tells us is that he is a paralytic man. Why is that important, Robert? It's important because anytime you study and do a full diagnostic of the Gospels, one of the literary nuances you will find is anytime Jesus interfaces with a person, rarely do we get their name. More often than not, we just get their gender and their condition. Have you noticed this? There was a woman with an issue of blood. There was a man with a withered hand. There was a man who was blind. There was a man who was deaf. All we get is their gender and their condition. And you know what it speaks to? It speaks to the human tendency and propensity to identify people by their issues. We love to identify people by their issues. We do it today. Have you ever noticed we label people by their dysfunction and we'll call them out by their dysfunction? Oh, you see her? Yeah, she cheated on her husband. Oh, you see her? She had a baby out of wedlock. You see him? He's an alcoholic. Isn't it funny how people love to label you? They will call you something for 40 years that you did in four minutes and to the point that you think you are the thing that you did. But I got some good news for you today. What makes the blood of Jesus so powerful, what makes the finished work of the cross so efficacious is that we don't have to be identified by our issues. Come on, if you are in Christ, you are a brand new creature. Your past has been washed away. Shake off the chains of what other people have said about you, talked about you. Look at them and say, yeah, you know a whole lot about my history, but you don't know anything about my destiny. God has greater in front of me than what's been in my past. Come on, somebody. You don't have to be labeled by your issue. They reduce this man to just being a paralytic man. And there he is in God's presence, but he's got a paralysis. He's in God's presence, but he's got a paralysis. Huh. I know you can't say anything in here this morning because you're in church. You've got to act real spiritual and real sanctimonious like you had manna for breakfast and floated in here today. <laughs> if you could be real, 
be shocked at the people who are in his presence, but they've got a paralysis. The thing that affects your walk with the Lord, the thing that you cry out to God in the secret place and say, God, if I didn't have this, my walk with you would be so much better. Maybe you're like this man and you feel stuck and you feel like giving up. But God sent this shouting, screaming, sweating brother from Dallas to tell you you can't give up because God has a way of putting you in the right place at the right time to hear the right word so you can get up and walk in the totality of what he has for you. Thank God for these four friends, huh? Those are the type of friends I want. I don't want the people around me that are going to say, well, now nah, you kind of look good down there on the floor. You want me to get you another mat? No. Get me a friend that's going to tear the roof off. That's why you got to be careful who you connect yourself with in church. His four friends said, I might not know what to do about the situation, but I'll get you in the presence of somebody that can. And interesting to note, didn't give the other services this. This is just for you. Interesting to note that God responded to their faith. Not the man, the four friends, their faith. What would you say if I told you if you had enough faith and invited somebody to service next week, God would do the rest. If you would just do your part and tear the roof off, God would make sure that they got up from their paralysis and walked into all that he had for them. God responded to their faith. This man comes to the roof. And how many know when somebody comes to the roof, you should probably shut that sermon down. <laughs> this is a huge interruption. And uh, the crowd is just aghast and they can't believe it. But at the same time, they're excited because this is what they paid their ticket to see. I mean, come on, it's been rumored throughout the region that Jesus has supernatural power. So I can see the crowd going, oh, it's about to go down. I don't know whether he's going to take some mud and rub it on his legs, but he's going to do something. I'm telling you, you better get your camera, put this on YouTube. This is going to be good. <laughs> the crowd is so excited. And the man who had to be embarrassed to be lowered into the presence of all of these people but all of a sudden, his embarrassment is eradicated with the feeling of elation because he knows for the first time in his life, he's going to be able to go for a run. For the first time in his life at a wedding, when they do the cha-cha slide and they say one hop this time, he's going to be able to do it. <laughs> while the crowd is waiting to clap, and the man is waiting to dance, Jesus, who has the power to heal him, the first thing he says, the first thing he says is, son, your sins are forgiven. All the super spiritual people in the room, you just identified yourself, okay? Uh, because you went, mm, glory to God. Sin. Yes, girl, I told you, yes. Um, but those of you who are like me, whenever I read the Bible, I jump in the page of the Bible, okay? I become that person. Actually, helps me preach. So if that's me, first of all, I would have gotten kicked out of the Bible probably around Genesis chapter 1 uh, because I have the tendency to be a little bit sarcastic, just a little bit sardonic. So if that's me and I've just been carried through a crowd up the side of a roof, a hole has been cut in this roof for me to be lowered into the presence of a man that everybody's saying is going to heal me and change my life. And the first thing he says, the first thing he says, is son your sins are forgiven i'm going oh appreciate it jesus you know that's why we came down here to get my sins forgiven i don't need these legs i don't want to walk i came down here to get my sins forgiven hey guys sins forgiven mission accomplished let's go home <laughs> what is jesus talking about tell me you gotta read your bible it is funny stuff in there this man didn't say anything about a struggle. He didn't say anything about sin. What is Jesus talking about? He seems to be the only ignoramus in the room who doesn't realize this man did not come to get his sins forgiven. He wants to do the moonwalk. <laughs> but hear me. Anytime Jesus appears to be acting ignorant in scripture, pay close attention. 
He's actually about to give you incredible insight. Let me say it more eloquently. Um, there is a profundity in the alleged stupidity of Christ. That was good. Um, <laughs> this man didn't even realize, hear me, he was in the exact position that God often reveals himself to you. The exact position. And that position is this. Whenever your experience doesn't line up with your expectation, God is trying to give you a revelation of who he is. Say it one more time. Whenever your experience doesn't line up with your expectation, God is trying to give you a revelation of who he is. See, rarely is Jesus recognized. He is more often revealed. And he reveals himself at the place where your experience doesn't line up with your expectation. I could take you out throughout the Bible and show you situation after situation where people's experience didn't line up with their expectation and it was simply a setup for God to reveal himself to you. And once he reveals himself to you, he super exceeds your expectation. Have you ever been there? Experienced something you weren't expecting? Come on, you experienced losing your job or experienced them downsizing? You weren't expecting that. If you notice, right when your experience didn't line up with your expectation, you got this revelation that he is Jehovah Jireh, your provider, and somehow away you're still making it, your bills are still getting paid. Come on, how are we in a recession and you gaining weight because you still eat three meals a day because God is showing you that he is your provider. Sometimes it's not until somebody breaks your heart that he reveals that he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Sometimes it's not until you're sick he reveals that he is a healer. I got a strange suspicion that the thing you've been complaining about, you can actually be praising about because it is a setup for God to reveal himself to you. What is he revealing to this man as I close and somebody starts playing because it lets me know I need to stop talking. <laughs> you know what he's revealing to this man? That he is the Messiah, the Savior that has come to take away the sins of the world. Look at what he says. He says, your sins are forgiven. Only a savior can say that. Only a savior. And that man had to be thinking, Jesus, hello, my legs. Man, you don't even know what my problem is. And Jesus saying, no, you don't know what your problem is. Your legs are the fruit of the issue, but your sin is the root of the issue. And I will not deal with the fruit of the issue until I first deal with the root of the issue. And I found, church people especially, we love to pick the fruit of issues without getting down to the root of the issue that will stop the fruit. God says, I got to get down to the root. This morning is my prayer that the Holy Spirit would do surgery in this place and get to the root of the issue so you can get up and walk. And he says, the root of your issue is sin. Not to say that this man personally sinned to bring this paralysis. Please don't think that I'm espousing an erroneous theology. I'm not saying that every person that is sick, they personally sin to get that sickness. Please don't think that's what I'm saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he is saying is the reason you have this sickness is because of a decision that Adam and Eve made in the garden a long time ago when sin entered the world. But he says, I cannot deal with your suffering until I first deal with your sin. I can't deal with the disease in your body until I first deal with the division of your spirit. I cannot deal with the ailment in your body until I first deal with the alienation of your soul. Because I'm not just the God of your circumstance. I am the God of your soul. He said, I'm going to touch both today. 
it says your sins are forgiven. And I love it because after he says that, also in the room, because they're always there, the elect Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, who were pretentiously puffed up with pomposity and pride, uh, the religious people. You ever notice religious people, they all have the same look? They always look like they smell something. <laughs> you ever want to see a religious person serve? Just look, they always have the same look. And as soon as Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, they thought to themselves, because that's how your haters do. They didn't say it out loud. They thought to themselves. They said, oh, he's blaspheming. Who but God alone can forgive sins? He's blaspheming. Uh, no, you're blaspheming, because you're calling Jesus a blasphemer. And to call Jesus a blasphemer is to blaspheme. Side note about religious people. They attack things in other people that's actually in them. Girl, I don't know about her. She a gossip. No, you are. That's how you noticed it. Sila. Um, they didn't say, who but God alone can forgive sins? That's who he was. He was God. So much God, he responds to their thoughts. Did you read it? They didn't even say it out loud. They thought it. And Jesus said, why are you thinking these things? Jesus was bad to the bone. He says, which is easier? To say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. He looked at him and said, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said, I tell you, get up. Somebody say, get up. Come on, say it like you got some faith. Say, get up. Come on, say it like you got some power. Say, get up. I love that because Jesus didn't say I need a prayer team to get around him. He didn't say I'm going to give you a six week series on how to get up. He said no. I'm giving you a word now you respond to that word and get up. Some of you came all the way to this service to get those two words get up. There's a new place God wants to take you to. Get up. There's a new dimension you need to go to. Get up. There's a new level of faith you can walk in. Get up from your past from your circumstance, from your pain, from low self esteem from depression, from stinking thinking, it's time for you to get up. He wants to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that you may ask or think. It's time to get up. All of a sudden, the man's legs start tingling. He gets up. I imagine the whole place erupted in praise. And Jesus gives another commandment. He says, oh, and take your mat. That man had to be thinking, oh, Jesus, I'm good. I don't need my mat. No, take your mat. Because I don't want you to ever forget that you used to be down on the ground. See, sometimes when Jesus raises people up, they get anointed amnesia and forget what they could have been and what they should have been. But he said, I don't want you to ever forget because your mat is your testimony that shows the world you used to be down. But he picked you back up again. He'll give you a mat. Then he says, go home. Go home. I think it's possible if Jesus told this man to go home, I think it's possible he could have had a wife. I think it's possible he could have had some kids. And I can see this man walking to his house for the very first time. That's how you walk when you just got your legs. I see him knocking on the door of his house. I can see his kids running to the door. Daddy! Daddy, I can't believe it, Dad. You're walking, you're standing. Mom, come see Dad. He's here, he's standing. And Mom, she's in the kitchen and she's cooking chicken. And, uh, already knew and uh just boy quit that lying your daddy is not out there you were lying at school stop it no mom come see she comes out sees her husband standing there for the first time and imagine tears erupting all of a sudden before she can say a word he looks at her and says sweetheart 
you can't even see the real miracle. The real miracle is not just that my legs have been healed. The real miracle is that my sins have been washed away. He exceeded my expectation. He did so much more than what I thought he could do. The same God that did it for that man is willing and able to do it for you in this place today. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father.